Welcome to the Plastic Surgery Decoded podcast. This is the podcast where we demystify plastic surgery and unpack it into relatable concepts. I'm your host, Dr. Regina Newham, and today we're talking about tummy tucks. Remember that this podcast is not intended to give formal medical advice. Instead, you can use it to gain insight, whether you're actually considering a procedure or you're just curious. So settle in for a listen and enjoy. Well, if we reach down to our bellies right now, most of us can pinch an inch, as they say. And for some of us, it's a lot more than an inch. And that's just fine. It's human. But for some people, it has become a bothersome problem. They may have lost skin elasticity from age and genetics, pregnancy, or massive weight loss, and they find that loose stuff that hangs over their clothing or bathing suit is not acceptable to them. They may want to do something about it, since working out doesn't help this. Tummy tuck is the common name for a surgery called abdominoplasty. The word means changing the shape of the abdomen. Over the years, the procedure has been modified and improved, such that there are several different technical approaches that are available now. But let's get down to the basics on this. Tummy tuck just means surgically removing excess skin and fat from the abdominal wall. Sounds kind of simple conceptually, but of course it's a bit more complex than that, as we'll discover in this podcast. Today we'll go over the goal of a tummy tuck, who's a candidate, the different types of tummy tucks and how they're done, whether you can just have liposuction instead, what to expect afterwards, and how long results will last. Well, let me start by explaining what an abdominoplasty sets out to accomplish. It is designed to address three components or layers of the abdominal wall that may need intervention, namely the overlying excess skin, the underlying excess fat, and the degree of tightness or support of the fascia that covers the rectus muscles that you might think of as six-pack muscles. Now, not everyone needs all three of those things improved, and that is why there are different types of tummy tucks, and we'll get into that in a little bit. So, who is a candidate for a tummy tuck? Well, any healthy person who finds they have one or possibly all of those issues. Number one, excess skin of the abdomen. Number two, excess underlying fat creating fullness or rolls. And number three, some pooching or protuberance of the abdominal contour from weak abdominal wall support. Most of the patients who undergo this surgery tend to be female, especially with the tissues that won't go back to baseline after pregnancy. But don't think that fellas get off the hook. Plenty of men have had this procedure as well. And as far as the skin goes, once elasticity has been lost, no amount of exercise or weight reduction is going to bring it back. That only reduces the underlying fat. And while there are some skin tightening treatments out there, they are only appropriate if the amount of tightening needed is small. Beyond that, surgery to excise the excess is necessary to accomplish the goal. And of course, it's not always just excess skin. Pregnancy or large weight gain can lead to separation of the rectus muscles from stretching of the overlying fascia or gristle tissue, creating less support for the abdominal contents. That leads to pooching that may not improve much over time. Core exercises can strengthen the rectus muscles in the longitudinal direction, but it will not pull them back toward each other transversely, towards the midline, beyond a minimum of improvement. Only surgical tightening of the fascia can do that. What about who's not a candidate? Well, anyone who is not in good health or who has a major medical condition should seriously consider holding off on a tummy tuck. 
It's a great surgery, but it is just that, a major procedure that is essentially elective. Potential patients with a significant medical history would need to get a medical clearance from their primary physician, and even then it may still not be appropriate to proceed. Another population for whom tummy tuck may not be the best is the group of patients who are significantly overweight or have a large amount of fat inside the abdomen, not just involving the abdominal wall or outer lining. A tummy tuck does not involve dissecting any deeper than the fascia, which again covers the muscle layer and is exterior to the internal abdomen. So, while an external tummy tuck will improve things a bit, results will be extremely limited and likely not worth it. There will still be a round or protuberant abdominal contour that cannot be flattened. So now, how is the procedure done? For a standard tummy tuck, the procedure goes like this. An incision is made across the lower part of the abdomen, nearly hip to hip, such that it would be hidden under a bathing suit bottom. Through that incision, the surgeon dissects down through the fat to the fascial layer, or again, you might think of it as gristle tissue, that sits on top of the muscles. We do not dissect into the muscles, we just dissect down to that level of depth. Then the skin and fat layer of the abdomen is separated from and lifted up off the muscle fascial layer, by dissecting in an upward direction toward the ribs. This creates a flap of tissue that is loose and detached at the bottom of the abdomen, but still attached at the top of the abdomen. That flap is separated and lifted all the way up to the ribcage margin, allowing any abdominal rolls of skin and fat to unroll and straighten, as the loosened flap is then stretched down towards the direction of the feet. At that point, it becomes clear how much excess skin and fat is present, and the excess is trimmed off there is just enough length left in the flap to be stitched back to the remaining skin edge that is still at the bottom of the abdomen. Think of it as a wrinkled piece of fabric that you pin down at one end with your hand, then with the other you lift up the free edge of the fabric and stretch it to straighten it, then trim off any excess before sewing it down. But wait, what about the belly button, also known as the umbilicus? How do you lift up and separate the flap from the underlying muscle fascial layer with the belly button in the way? Well, the answer is to make a little circular incision in the skin around the belly button, allowing the stalk of the belly button to stay attached to the deeper abdominal wall when the flap is being lifted. That does create a hole in the flap, but no worry. Usually there is so much excess skin present after the flap has been loosened then the extra part of the flap, which is trimmed off after stretching the flap towards the feet, will usually include that skin hole, so it's gone. Then, after the skin of the horizontal lower abdominal incision is stitched back up, a new small opening through the skin is made in the center of the abdomen to allow the temporarily buried belly button to come back out to the open world. When you look later in the mirror, it looks like the belly button is in the right spot, because it is. It always stayed attached to the deeper abdomen, and that location didn't change. Just the overlying skin changed. Okay, so that takes care of the excess skin and fat, but what if there was some general pooching of the abdomen from laxity or looseness in the fascial layer that overlies the muscle, such as stretched out support following pregnancy or previous massive weight gain and then loss? Something called a rectus diastasis may occur, which means, again, those long rectus muscles, or six-pack muscles, have separated in the midline of the abdomen, allowing the pooch to occur. This is not a hernia, but a weakness in the abdominal wall that sit-ups and muscle toning are not going to fix. Well then, this is the other potential part of a tummy tuck. 
While the flap of skin and fat has been temporarily elevated and separated from the fascia, the surgeon can take advantage of having this fascia exposed and place multiple stitches to tighten it up and take out the slack, kind of like an internal corset. This is not a tightening of the muscles per se, but rather of the overlying loose fascia or gristle tissue. Then the rest of the procedure continues as we discussed. Interestingly, it's this part of the procedure that is responsible for the lengthy recovery from surgery before activities can resume. Not the skin and fat part. It takes a while for the fascia to heal before it's safe to stress it with activity. But we'll discuss downtime in more detail a little bit later in this podcast. Now, I mentioned that there were other choices for type of tummy tuck. Some people only have a little bit of excess, and it's just the lower part of the abdomen. They may be able to accomplish their goals by undergoing what's called a mini abdominoplasty or a mini tummy tuck. That's different in that it has a shorter incision line and the skin and fat flap of the lower abdomen is only lifted to the level of the belly button, not past it, before it then is stretched down and the excess is trimmed off. Therefore, less dissection is performed and the belly button isn't touched. The fascia in the lower abdomen may or may not be tightened depending upon that particular patient's needs. But overall, the recovery is somewhat faster since it's a smaller procedure. But the thing to remember is that it will not address any skin or fascia issues higher up than the belly button level. So if there is any excess in the upper abdomen, this would not be the ideal procedure. A still different procedure, called a paniculectomy, is performed in some situations and also just deals with the lower abdomen. It involves only removing the excess skin that doubles over itself, which some people refer to as their apron, if you will. Contrary to other types of procedure, in a paniculectomy, there is no elevation of the skin and fat layer and no further dissection or undermining. This excess tissue is just pinched together, surgically removed, and then stitched up. Frankly, of all of these, the paniculectomy produces the least cosmetically pleasing result, but it may be right for some patients, especially after massive weight loss, when that doubled-over tissue can be so long it really gets in the way. If you end up pursuing a tummy tuck, you'll discover in consultation with your plastic surgeon the best recommendation for your particular needs. Okay, I'm going to take a quick minute now to address the concept of liposuction as an added component to the tummy tuck. I found that in the vast majority of tummy tucks I performed over the years, I ended up doing some liposuction as well to enhance the results since most patients had some excess fatty tissue of the abdominal wall in addition to the skin excess. And while the tummy tuck trims away the fat attached under the portion of skin it removes, That doesn't help the excess fat still in the remainder of the abdominal wall that stays behind. Doing some liposuction to help thin out the rest of that area can create a more svelte contour result. So at this point, some patients have asked me, why can't I just do liposuction alone and forget the tummy tuck part? Well, certainly they could, but only if they just want a spot reduction of fat and have really good skin elasticity and if they don't need tightening of the fascial layer over the muscles. In a previous episode of Plastic Surgery Decoded podcast, we discussed liposuction in great detail, so feel free to refer to that to hear more. One of the caveats is that it will not generate much overlying skin tightening on its own, so any excess skin that's present could end up looking worse. Again, a formal exam by the surgeon is needed to determine the right choice. 
Okay, if someone does undergo a tummy tuck, what can they expect during and after? Well, usually it involves a general anesthetic, which means you have a comfortable sleep during the surgery. After the recovery room, some patients go home and come back to the surgeon's office the next day for a check, as with an outpatient procedure. Other patients stay overnight at the facility for convenience or observation. Most surgeons will leave a drain in place, and these are flexible tubes that are placed sterilely under the skin flap during surgery. It may sound kind of icky, but drains are your friends. They can capture any fluid or blood that might build up after your surgery. We want that fluid to come out so it does not stretch out the nice flat abdomen result obtained during surgery. Those drains will usually be in for at least several days, and patients are shown how to keep track of the output so the surgeon can gauge when to remove them. Many times, stitches are absorbable, so they don't have to be removed except maybe around the belly button. There they can usually come out in a week or so. Then scar care instructions are typically given when the surgeon believes it is safe to start doing this. There are activity restrictions for a while, however, and the length of these usually rests on whether some fascia tightening was done, as we don't want those internal stitches to pop. If they did, it wouldn't hurt you, but it might leave an unsightly bulge where the fascia was stretched out again. Advice varies from surgeon to surgeon, but I usually told my patients to avoid driving and going to work for a couple of weeks. If working from home is an option, that's great, but do keep in mind that most patients find their stamina doesn't return for at least a couple of weeks. Working out, however, is a different story. It takes longer to get back to that depending upon how involved the surgery was. That's frustrating for a lot of people, but if you've made the commitment to undergo this surgery, you must make the commitment to recover properly or it will all be for naught. You don't want to ruin your good results. Of course, if a smaller procedure, like a mini tummy tuck, was done, then that will shorten the length of restrictions accordingly. And as far as results go, most people can tell a significant improvement in their appearance right after surgery, but there will be swelling that may last a few weeks and fluctuate, bruising as well. Final results are usually more clear at about three months. Now let's go over some important questions that people have had. One question is, what happens if I get pregnant later? Well, your abdomen will stretch with pregnancy just like it would have before a tummy tuck. That's not a problem. But what's unpredictable is what your tissues will do after you have the baby. You may be left with a recurrence of stretched out skin that has lost elasticity or weakened stretched out fascia over the muscles, allowing abdominal pooching to recur. In those situations, a touch-up or revision surgery should improve the situation. Another question is, how long do the surgical results last? Well, we hope for a long, long time, but we are at the mercy of the quality of your tissues. Skin elasticity continues to be lost as time passes, and the rate at which it does so is largely determined by your genetics. You can't change that much. So over time, yes, things do settle, but if you find it becomes too much, you can always have a little touch-up done. I would always tell my patients that with surgery, we are just resetting the aging clock. Unfortunately, we can't stop that clock. Another great question is, what if I gain or lose weight after surgery? Gaining weight will make the abdominal area larger as expected, but it may do so irregularly, especially if liposuction was done to complement the contour results. On the flip side, losing weight afterwards may result in more excess skin, again if there is a general tendency for losing elasticity of the skin. That is why I think it's best to do this procedure when you are within about 5 pounds or so of your baseline weight. 
not your ideal weight, but your realistic weight. Otherwise, some further intervention may have to occur if weight fluctuates too much after surgery. All right, we've covered a lot of ground here with the tummy tuck. In all, it's a great procedure that can make such a nice change for the people who want it. For those who are seriously considering it, best to check with your plastic surgeon to see if it's right for you. Either way, now you know what it's all about. Well, that's our show for today. Hope you enjoyed it and learned something too. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Please share this podcast with someone else who might be interested. And while you're at it, check out the podcast website for related topics to explore. It's www.plasticsurgerydecoded.com. And as always, thank you for listening to Plastic Surgery Decoded. Decoded.